Chapter One of the Phantom Death and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Phantom Death and Other Stories by William Clark Russell. The Phantom Death. On the twenty fourth of April, eighteen forty having finished the business that had carried me into the brazils i arrived at rio de janeiro where i found a vessel lying nearly loaded and sailing for the port of bristol in four or five days in those times passenger traffic between great britain and the eastern coast of south america was almost entirely carried on in small ships averaging from two hundred to five hundred tons the funnel of the ocean mail steamer with her gilded saloons and side wheels which to the great admiration of all beholders slapped twelve knots an hour out of the composite fabric had not yet hove into sight above the horizon of commerce and folks were very well satisfied if they were no longer than three months in reaching the brazilian coast out of the river thames the little ship in which i took passage was a bark called the lord of the isles her burden was something under four hundred tons she was a round-bowed wagon of a vanished type with a square sawed-off stern painted ports heavy overhanging channels and as loftily rigged i was going to say as a line of battleship owning to her immense beam which gave her the stability of a church i applied to the agent and hired a cabin and found myself to my secret satisfaction the only passenger in the ship yes i was rejoiced to be the sole passenger my passage out had been rendered memorably miserable by the society of as ill-conditioned bad-tempered sulky a lot of wretches as ever turned in of a night into bunks and cursed the captain in their gizzards in a calm for not being able to whistle a wind up over the sea-line the name of the skipper of the lord of the isles was joyce he was unlike the average run of the men in that trade instead of being beef-faced and bow-legged humid of eye and gay with grog-blossoms he was tall pale spare he spoke low and in a melancholy key he never swore he drank wine and water and there was little or nothing in his language to suggest the sailor his berth was right aft on the starboard side mine was right aft also next his three cabins on either hand ran forward from these two afterberths two of them were occupied by the first and second mates between was a roomy state cabin as the term then was a plain interior furnished with an oblong table and fixed chairs lighted by day by a large skylight by night by a couple of brass lamps we sailed away on a monday morning as well as i recollect out of the spacious and splendid scene of the harbour of rio and under full breasts of canvas swelling to the height of a main skysail big enough to serve as a mizzen topgallant sail for a thousand-ton ship of to-day and with taut bowlines and yearning jibs and a heel of hull that washed a two-foot-wide streak of greenish copper through the wool-white swirl of froth that broke from the bows the lord of the isles headed on a straight course for the deep solitudes of the atlantic all went well with us for several days 
our ship's company consisted of twelve men including a boatswain and a carpenter the forecastle hands appeared very hearty likely fellows despite their pierhead raiment of scotch cap and broken small clothes and open flannel shirt and greasy sheath knife belted to the hip they worked with a will they sang out cheerily at the ropes they went in and out of the galley at mealtime without faces of loathing and but one complaint came aft before our wonderful mysterious troubles began the ship's bread crawled they said and being found truly very bad good white flour was served out in lieu we had been eight days at sea and in that time had made fairly good way it drew down a quiet soft black night with the young moon gone soon after sunset a trembling flash of stars over the mastheads a murky dimness of heat and of stagnation all round about the sea-line and a frequent glance of sea-fire over the side when a dip of the bark's round bends drove the water from her in a swelling cloud of ebony i walked the quarter-deck with the captain and our talk was of england and of the brazils and of his experiences as a mariner of thirty years standing what of the weather said i as we came to a pause at the binnacle whose bright disk of illuminated card touched into phantom outlines the hairy features of the jack who grasped the wheel there's a spell of quiet before us i fear he answered in his melancholy monotonous voice no doubt a day will come mr west when the unhappy sea captain upon whose forehead the shipowner would be glad to brand the words prompt dispatch will be rendered by steam independent of that most capricious of all things wind the wind bloweth as it listeth which is very well whilst it keeps all on blowing for with our machinery of trusses and perils and braces we can snatch a sort of propulsion out of anything short of hurricane antagonism within six points of what we want to look up for but of a dead night and of a dead day with the wind up and down and your ship showing her stern to the thirty-two points in a single watch what's to be done with an owner's request of look sharp will you come below and have some grog the second mate a man named bonner was in charge of the deck i followed the captain into the cabin where he smoked a cigar he drank a little wine and water i drained a tumbler of cold brandy grog then stepped above for an hour of fresh air and afterwards to bed six bells eleven o'clock striking as i turned in i slept soundly awoke at seven o'clock and shortly afterwards went on deck the watch were at work washing down the crystal brine flashed over the white plank to the swing of the bucket in the boatswain's powerful grasp and the air was filled with the busy noise of scrubbing brushes and of the murmurs of some livestock under the longboat the morning was a wide radiant scene of tropic sky and sea afar right astern on the light blue verge trembled the mother-of-pearl canvas of a ship a small breeze was blowing off the beam from under the round bows of the slightly leaning bark came a pleasant brook-like sound of running waters a soft shaling as of a foam over stones sweet to the ear in that heat as the music of a fountain mr bonner the second mate was again in charge of the deck when i passed through the companion hatch i saw him standing abreast of the skylight at the rail 
the expression of his face was grave and full of concern and he seemed to watch the movements of the men with an inattentive eye i bade him good morning he made no reply for a little but looked at me fixedly and then said i'm afraid captain joyce is a dead man what is wrong with him i exclaimed eagerly and much startled i don't know sir i wish there was a medical man on board perhaps you'd be able to tell what he's suffering from if you saw him i at once went below and found the lad who waited upon us in the cabin preparing the table for breakfast i asked him if the captain was alone he answered that mr stroud the chief mate was with him on this i went to the door of captain joyce's cabin and lightly knocked the mate looked out and seeing who i was told me in a soft voice to enter captain joyce lay in his bunk dressed in a flannel shirt and a pair of white drill trousers all his throat and a considerable portion of his chest were exposed and his feet were naked i looked at him scarcely crediting my sight i did not know him as the man i had parted with but a few hours before he was swelled from head to foot as though drowned the swelling contorted his countenance out of all resemblance to his familiar face the flesh of him that was visible was a pale blue as if rubbed with a powder of the stuff called blue which the laundresses use in getting up their linen his eyes were open but the pupils were rolled out of sight and the whites as they are called were covered with red blotches i had no knowledge of medicine and could not imagine what had come to the poor man he was unconscious and evidently fast sinking i said to mr stroud what is this the mate answered i'm afraid he's poisoned himself accidentally it looks to me like poison don't it seem so to you sir see how his fingers and toes are curled i ran my eye over the cabin and exclaimed have you searched for any bottles containing poison i did so when he sent for me at four o'clock and complained of feeling sick and ill he was then changing color and his face was losing its proper looks i asked him if he thought he had taken anything by mistake he answered no unless he had done so in his sleep he awoke feeling very bad and that was all he could tell me i touched the poor fellow's hand and found it cold his breathing was swift and thin at moments a convulsion like a wrenching shudder passed through him is it i asked some form of country sickness do you think some kind of illness that was lying latent in him when we sailed i never heard of any sort of sickness he answered that made a man look like that not cholera even and what but poison would do its work so quickly depend upon it he's either been poisoned or poisoned himself unawares poisoned i exclaimed who's the man in this ship that's going to do such a thing it's no natural illness he answered looking at the livid bloated face of the dying man and he repeated with gloomy emphasis he's either been poisoned or he's poisoned himself unawares i stood beside mr stroud for about a quarter of an hour watching the captain and speculating upon the cause of his mortal sickness we talked in low voices often pausing and starting for the convulsions of the sufferer made us think that he had his mind and wished to sit up and speak but the ghastly horrid vacant look of his face continued fixed 
by the stubborn burial of the pupils of his eyes his lips moved only when his frame was convulsed i put my finger upon his pulse and found the beat thread-like terribly rapid intermittent and faint then feeling sick and scared i went on deck for some air the second mate asked me how the captain was and what i thought i answered that he might be dead even now as i spoke that i could not conceive the nature of the malady that was killing him that had apparently fastened upon him in his sleep and was threatening to kill him within the compass of four or five hours but that mr stroud believed he had been poisoned or had poisoned himself accidentally poisoned echoed the second mate and he sent a look in the direction of the ship's galley what's he eaten that we haven't partaken of a regular case of poisoning does the chief officer think it oh no oh no who's to do it the captain's too well liked to allow of such a guess as that if the food's been fouled by the cook in error how's it that the others of us who ate at the cabin table aren't likewise seized there was no more to be said about it then but in less than half an hour's time the mate came up and told us the captain was gone he never recovered his senses never spoke except to talk in delirium he said you think he was poisoned sir said the second mate not willfully answered mr stroud looking at me i never said that nor is it a thing one wants to think of he added sending his gaze round the wide scene of flashing ocean he then abruptly quitted us and walked to the galley where for some while he remained out of sight when he returned he told the second mate with whom i had stood talking that he had spoken to the cook and thoroughly overhauled the dressing utensils and was satisfied that the galley had nothing to do with the murderous mischief which had befallen the skipper but why be so cock-certain mr stroud said i that the captain's dead of poisoning i am cock-certain he answered shortly and with some little passion name me the illness that's going to kill a man in three or four hours and make such a corpse of him as lies in the captain's cabin he called to the second mate and they paced the deck together deep in talk the men had come up from breakfast and the boatswain had set them to the various jobs of the morning but the news of the captain's death had gone forward it was shocking by reason of its suddenness then again the death of the master of a ship lies cold and heavy upon the spirits of a company at sea tis the head gone the thinking part the mate may make as good a captain but he's not the man the crew signed articles under the seamen of the lord of the isles wore grave faces as they went about their work they spoke softly and the boatswain delivered his orders in subdued notes after a bit the second mate walked forward and addressed the boatswain and some of the men but what he said i did not catch i breakfasted and returned on deck it was then ten o'clock i found the main topsail to the mast and a number of seamen standing in the gangway whilst the two mates hung together on the quarter-deck talking as though waiting in a few minutes four seamen brought the body of the captain up through the companion hatch and carried it to the gangway the corpse was stitched up in a hammock and rested upon a plank over which the english ensign was thrown i thought this funeral very hurried and dreaded to think that the poor man might be breathing and alive at the instant of his launch 
for after all we had but the mate's assurance that the captain was dead and what did mr stroud know of death that is as it would be indicated by the body of a man who had died from some swift subtle nameless distemper as captain joyce seemingly had when the funeral was over the topsail swung and the men returned to their work i put the matter to the mate who answered that the corpse had turned black and that there could be no more question of his being dead than of his now being overboard the breeze freshened that morning at noon it was blowing strong with a dark hard sky of compacted cloud under which curls and shreds of yellow scud fled like a scattering of smoke and the mates were unable to get an observation mr stroud seemed engrossed by the sudden responsibilities which had come upon him and talked little that afternoon he shifted into the captain's berth being now indeed in command of the bark it was convenient to him to live in that cabin for the necessary nautical appliances for navigating the ship were there along with the facilities for their use mr bonner told me that he and the mate had thoroughly examined the cabin overhauled the captain's boxes lockers shelves and the like for anything of a poisonous nature but had met with nothing whatever it was indeed an amazing mystery he said and he was no longer of opinion with mr stroud that poison accidentally or otherwise taken had destroyed the captain indeed he now leaned to my view that captain joyce had fallen a victim to some disease which had lain latent in him since leaving rio something deadly quick and horribly transforming well known maybe to physicians of the brazils if indeed it were peculiar to that country well three days passed and nothing of any moment happened the wind drew ahead and braced our yards fore and aft for us and the tub of a bark went to leeward like an empty cask shouldering the head seas into snowstorms off her heavy round bow and furrowing a short scope of oil-smooth wake almost at right angles with her stern post though mr stroud had charge of the ship he continued from this time to keep watch and watch with mr bonner as in the captain's life not choosing i dare say to entrust the charge of the deck to the boatswain on the evening of this third day that i have come to i was sitting in the cabin under the lamp writing down some memories of the past week in a diary when the door of the captain's berth was opened and my name was faintly called i saw mr stroud and instantly went to him his hands were clasped upon his brow and he swayed violently as though in pain with greater vehemence than the heave the deck warranted his eyes were starting and by the clear light of the brace of the cabin lamps i easily saw that his complexion was unusually dusky and darkening even so it seemed to me as i looked i cried out what is the matter mr stroud oh my god he exclaimed i am in terrible pain i am horribly ill i am dying i grasped him by the arm and conducted him to his bunk into which he got groaning and holding his head with an occasional strange short plunge of his feet such as a swimmer makes when resting in the water on his back i asked him if he was only just now seized he answered that he was in a deep sleep from which he was awakened by a burning sensation throughout his body he lay quiet a while supposing it was a sudden heat of the blood 
but the fire increased and with it came torturing pains in the head and attacks of convulsions and even whilst he told me this the convulsive fits grew upon him and he broke off to groan deeply as though in exquisite pain and distress of mind then he'd set his teeth and then presently scream out oh my god i have been poisoned i'm dying i was thunderstruck and terrified to the last degree what was this dreadful thing this phantom death that had come into the ship was it a contagious plague but what distemper is there that catching men in their sleep swells and discolors them even as the gaze rests upon them and dismisses their souls to god in the space of three or four hours i ran on deck but waited until mr bonner had finished bawling out some orders to the men before addressing him the moon was young but bright and she sheared scythe-like through the pouring shadows and the light of her made a marvellous brilliant whiteness of the foam as it burst in masses from the plunge of the bark's bows when i gave the news to mr bonner he stared at me for some moments wildly and in silence and then rushed below i followed him as quick as he went for i had often used the sea and the giddiest dance of a deck-plank was all one with the solid earth to my accustomed feet we entered the mate's berth and mr bonner lighted the bracket lamp and stood looking at his shipmate and by the aid of the flame he had kindled and the bright light flowing in through the open door i beheld a tragic and wonderful change in mr stroud though scarce ten minutes had passed since i was with him his face was bloated the features distorted his eyes rolled continuously and frequent heavy twitching shudders convulsed his body but the most frightful part was the dusky hue of his skin that was of a darker blue than i had observed in the captain he still had his senses and repeated to the second mate what he had related to me but he presently grew incoherent then fell delirious in about an hour's time he was speechless and lay racked with convulsions of a horrid blue the features shockingly convulsed and the whites of his eyes alone showing as in the captain's case he had called me at about nine o'clock and he was a dead man at two in the morning or four bells in the middle watch both the second mate and i were constantly in and out with the poor fellow but we could do no good only marvel and murmur our astonishment and speculations we put the captain's steward a young fellow to watch him this was an hour before his death and at four bells the lad came out with a white face and said to me who sat at the table depressed and awed and overwhelmed by this second ghastly and indeterminable visitation that the chief mate was dead had ceased to breathe and was quickly turning black mr bonner came into the cabin with the boatswain and they went into the dead man's berth and stayed there about a quarter of an hour when they came out the boatswain looked at me hard i recollect that that man's name was matthews i asked some questions but they had nothing to tell except that the body had turned black what manner of disease can it be that kills in this fashion said i if it's the plague we may be all dead men in a week 
"'It's no plague,' said the boatswain, in a voice that trembled with its own volume of sound. "'What is it?' I cried. "'Poison,' he shouted, and he dropped his clenched fist with the weight of a cannonball upon the table. I looked at the second mate, who exclaimed, "'The boatswain swears to the signs.' He's seen the like of that corpse in three English seamen who were poisoned up at Chusan. Do you want me to make out that both men have committed suicide? I exclaimed. I want to make out that both men have been poisoned, shouted the boatswain in his voice of thunder. There was a significance in the insolence of the fellow that confounded and alarmed me, and the meaning was deepened by the second mate allowing his companion to address me in this roaring affronting way without reproof i had hoped that the man had been drinking and that the second mate was too stupid with horror to heed his behavior to me and without giving either of them another word i walked to my cabin and lay down i have no space here to describe the wild and terrifying fancies which ran in my head for some while i heard the boatswain and the second mate conversing but the cabin bulkhead was stout, the straining and washing noises all about the helm heavy and continuous, and I caught not a syllable of what they said. At what hour I fell asleep I cannot tell. When I awoke, my cabin was full of the sunshine that streamed in through the stern window. I dressed and took hold of the handle of the door and found myself a prisoner. Not doubting I was locked up in error, I shook the door and beat upon it and called out loudly to be released after a few minutes the door was opened and the second mate stood in the threshold he exclaimed mr west it's the wish of the men that you should be locked up i'm no party to the job but they're resolved i'll tell you plainly what they think they believe you've had a hand in the death of the captain and the chief mate the boatswains put that into their heads I'm the only navigator left, and they're afraid you'll try your hand on me if you have your liberty. You'll be regularly fed and properly seen to, but it's the crew's will that you stop here. With that, and without giving me time to utter a word, he closed and secured the door. I leaned against the bulkhead and sought to rally my wits, but I own that for a long while I was as one whose mind comes slowly to him after he has been knocked down insensible i never for an instant supposed that the crew really believed me guilty of poisoning the captain and chief mate i concluded that the men had mutinied and arranged with mr bonner to run away with the ship and that i should remain locked up in my cabin until they had decided what to do with me by the by the door was opened and the young steward put a tray containing some breakfast upon the cabin deck he was but a mule of a boy, and I guessed that nothing but what might still further imperil me could come of my questioning him. So, in silence, I watched him put down the tray and depart. The meal thus sent to me was plentiful, and I drew some small heart out of the attention. Whilst I ate and drank, I heard sounds in the adjoining berth and presently gathered that they were preparing the body of the chief mate for its last toss over the side after a bit they went on deck with the corpse and then all was still in the cabin i knew by the light of the sun that the vessel was still heading on her course for england 
it was a bright morning with a wild windy sparkle in as much of the weather as i could see through the cabin window the plunge of the ship's stern brought the water in a roar of milky froth all about the counter close under me and the frequent jar of rudder and jump of wheel assured me that the bark was traveling fast through the seas what in god's name did the men mean by keeping me a prisoner did they think me a madman or that i whose life together with theirs depended upon the safe navigation of the bark would destroy those who alone could promise me security and what had slain the two men if poison who had administered it one man might have died by his own hand but not both and since both had perished from the same cause self-murder was not to be thought of what was it then that had killed them visiting them in their sleep and discoloring bloating convulsing and destroying them in a few hours was it some deadly malady subtly lurking in the atmosphere of the after part of the vessel if so then i might be the next to be taken or was there some devilish murderer lying secretly hidden or was one of the crew the doer of these things i seemed to smell disease and death and yearn for the freedom of the deck and for the sweetness of the wide strong rush of wind the day passed the second mate never visited me the lad arrived with my meals and when he came with my supper i asked him some questions but obtained no more news than that the second mate had taken up his quarters in the adjoining berth as acting captain and that the boatswain was keeping watch and watch with him i got but little rest that night it blew hard and the pitching of the vessel was unusually heavy then again i was profoundly agitated and in deep distress of mind for supposing the men in earnest it was not only horrible to be thought capable of murder there was the prospect of my being charged and of having to clear my character or supposing the men's suspicion or accusation a villainous pretext how would they serve me would they send me adrift or set me ashore to perish on some barren coast or destroy me out of hand you will remember that i am writing of an age when seafaring was not as it is now the pirate and the slaver were still afloat doing a brisk business there often went a desperate spirit in ships forecastles and the maritime records of the time abound with tragic narratives of revolt seizure cruelty of a ferocious sort another day and another night went by and i was still locked up in my cabin and saving the punctual arrival of the lad with my meals no man visited me sometime about eight o'clock on the morning of the third day of my confinement i was looking through the cabin window at the space of gray and foaming sea and sallow flying sky which came and went in the square of the aperture with the lift and fall of the bark's stern when my cabin door was struck upon and in a minute afterwards opened and the boatswain appeared mr west said he after looking at me for a moment in silence with a face whose expression was made up of concern and fear and embarrassment i've come on my own part and on the part of the men sir to ask your pardon for our treatment of you we was mistook and our fears made us too willing to believe that you had a hand in it we don't know what it is now but as jesus is my god mr west 
the second mate he lies dead of the same thing in the next cabin i went past him too stupefied to speak and in a blind way sat down at the cabin table and leaned my head against my hand presently i looked up and on lifting my eyes i caught sight of two or three sailors staring down with white faces through the skylight you tell me that the second mate's dead said i yes sir dead of poison too so help me god cried the boatswain who remains to navigate the ship i said that's it sir he exclaimed unless you can do it not i there's no man amongst you more ignorant may i look at the body he opened the door of the cabin in which the others had died and there in the bunk from which the bodies of captain joyce and mr stroud had been removed lay now the blackened corpse of the second mate it was an awful sight and a passage of time horrible with the mystery which charged it i felt no rage at the manner in which i had been used by that dead man there and the hurricane lunged seamen alongside of me and the fellows forward i could think of nothing but the mystery of the three men's deaths the lamentable plight we were all in through our wanting a navigator with the chance moreover that it was the plague and not poison mysteriously given that had killed the captain and mates so that all the rest of us as i have said might be dead men in another week i returned to the cabin and the boatswain joined me and we stood beside the table conversing anxiously watched by several men who had stationed themselves at the skylight what we've got to do said i is to keep a bright lookout for ships and borrow someone to steer us home from the first vessel that will lend us a navigator we're bound to fall in with something soon meanwhile you're a smart seaman yourself matthews as well qualified as any one of them who have died to sail the ship and there's surely some intelligent sailor amongst the crew who would relieve you in taking charge of the deck i'll do all i can the question is where's the vessel now said the boatswain fetch me the logbook said i and see if you can find the chart they've been using to prick the courses off on we should be able to find out where the ship was at noon yesterday i can't enter that cabin the sight of the poor fellow makes me sick he went to the berth and passed through the door and might have left me about five minutes evidently hunting for the chart when he suddenly rushed out roaring in his thunderous voice i've discovered it i've discovered it and fled like a madman up the companion steps i was startled almost to the very stopping of my heart by this sudden furious wild behavior in him then wondering what he meant by shouting he had discovered it i walked to the cabin door and the very first thing my eye lighted upon was a small snake leisurely coiling its way from the head to the feet of the corpse its middle was about the thickness of a rifle barrel and it then tapered to something like whipcord to its tail it was about two feet long snow-white and speckled with black and red spots this then was the phantom death yonder venomous reptile it was then that creeping out of some secret hiding place and visiting the unhappy men one after another had stung them in their sleep in the darkness of the cabin and vanished before they had struck a light and realized indeed that something desperate had come to them whilst i stood looking at the snake 
whose horror seemed to gain fresh accentuation from the very beauty of its snow-white speckled skin and diamond-bright eyes the boatswain armed with a long handspike and followed by a number of the crew came headlong to the cabin he thrust the end of the handspike under the belly of the creature and hove it into the middle of the berth stand clear he roared and with a blow or two smashed the reptile's head into a pulp open that cabin window said he one of the men did so and the boatswain with his boot scraped the mess of smashed snake on to the handspike and shook it overboard i told you they were poisoned he cried breathing deep and oh my god mr west and i humbly ask your pardon again for having suspected ye do you know sir whilst i was a-talking to you just now i was actually thinking of taking up my quarters in this here cabin this very night thus much and now to end this singular experience in a sentence or two three days after the discovery of the snake we sighted and signalled a large english merchantman bound to london from the rio de la plata her chief officer came aboard and we related our story he asked to see the snake we told him we had thrown it overboard on my describing it he informed me that he guessed it was the little poisonous reptile known in certain districts of south america as the ibiboboco he returned to his ship and shortly afterwards the commander sent us his third officer with instructions to keep in company as long as possible end of chapter one recording by james k white chula vista